Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning Mishpatim Shlishi, the third Aliyah in Parshas Mishpatim. The topic of our Aliyah is social responsibility. It is 23 Pesukim long, writing from Perik Chof, Beis, Pasuk Dal, to Pasuk Chof Vav. Let's take a look at it and try to interpret and understand each of the different laws. We're going to look at eight separate laws that are found in our Aliyah. The first law is the notion of continuing with the destruction of property is what's called shame. This is when a person has an animal, and this animal goes and consumes somebody else's <clears throat> property. Then you have to pay back the full damage of this. What is the definition, the boundary of this uh, of this hala, of this halacha, this mitzvah? The Gemara Baba Kama says that shame is unique in that it is when the animal is doing this to intend to enjoy from its damages. Unlike the previous aliyah, we were talking about what was called destruction through the horn, which is generally understood as wanton destruction, karen. This is when the animal is intending to benefit from it. And this is seen as a natural, what the animal will always be doing. And hence, if the animal is always doing this, a person needs to exercise the correct protections. Included in this halacha would be an animal, let's say, that rubs its back against the wall in order to, to deal with an, a, a certain itch that it has and then the wall collapses, in that case the owner would also be responsible as part of this um, umbrella topic called shame. We then hear about the second law, which is called Aish. Aish is where a person um, has a fire in their property, the fire then goes out and it consumes something else of their <clears throat> friend's property, then you have to, the owner of the fire has to um, take care of this. What is the, the definition of this notion of Aish? So the Gmorim Baba Kama tells us what's unique about this type of damage is that it is what's called koyach acheres mu'urav boy. That it needs an external force to be able to reach its dam- its, its victims or the, prop- the property of the victim. So in this case, I'm lighting a bonfire in my backyard, yet the wind blows it. So the wind I'm not in control of. But because I'm doing something with a dangerous um, energy, and I'm expected to take the necessary precautions in order not to have the koyach acheres, this other external force, um, extend it or bring it to other places as well and therefore I, I have the, the culpability of wherever it reaches as well. One of the limitations in this halacha of Aish is one is not chayav for tamun, that which is hidden. So for instance if the um, fire were to go across somebody else's field and consume the large haystacks and inside the haystack a person was hiding their bicycle, the bicycle was incinerated, one would not be responsible for the, the money of that as well. Just another interesting limitation. This. We learned the third halacha of here, this is the notion of shomrim. We hear about a long description of the different people who guard other people's property. A basic summary of this is the is the, is the following. <clears throat> there are three basic shomrim described in this next section over here. One is a shomer chinam, which is a god who is not paid, an unpaid god. And then there's a shomer sachar, or a sachir, a renter, or a paid god. And then there's a sho'el, a borrower. So a shomer chinam has the culpability for negligence. If they leave the item out in the rain, and the, and, and the item gets rusty and destroyed, then, then the Shomer Chinam is responsible. However, if it is stolen, it is lost, then the uh, unpaid God is not responsible. When you step it up and you ratchet it up and you add money to the equation, you have a Shomer Sachar or a Sachir, where you have a renter or a paid God. In that case, they are also, also responsible for theft and loss. However, including obviously negligence, but they are not responsible for honest, which is ex, um, extenuating circumstances where they were beyond one's control. So if the cow that they were borrowing happens to get stolen, they would be culpable. But if the cow is hit by lightning, they would not be culpable in that respect. Finally, the sho'el, the borrower, is considered responsible even for honest, even for events beyond their control, unless the owners are with them at the point that that happens as well. That seems to be a basic overview of this, uh, these halachas and uh, extensive sugis in Baba Kama and Baba Ba.
Bava Metziah discussed this as well. <clears throat> Why is the Sho'el so responsible? Why is the borrower so responsible? So the Midrash actually relates a story between Ruria and Rabbi Meir, uh, the famous sage and, and his wife, and they, Rachman and Litzlan, they lost two beautiful twin boys on, um, on Shabbos after an extended period of illness. Ruria did not want to tell her husband about this until after Shabbos, but after Shabbos she said to her husband, a certain man came, to the, came with us to give us a picadon, a, uh, a, a collateral, and it was two diamonds. He came to reclaim them, should I return them or not? So Rasulovetchik actually expands on this in the most beautiful way, and he says, perhaps we don't appreciate the pathos of this whole experience. The background of, this, of the story is the following, is that he says, imagine that dark at night, um, there's a knock on the door, Brewery answers the door, there's a dark stranger whose face is covered, and he gives Brewery a, bo- a box and runs away without a word. She tries to follow him, but can't. She opens the box and finds two beautiful diamonds. So she, has, she assumes at the beginning that he must be leaving them in safekeeping, and he plans to return them, to return and collect them. But the weeks drag into months, and the months wear into years. And after a while, she, she keeps thinking about this, she inquires about this person, she finds no answers, and she wonders who this person is and if he's really still alive. At a certain point, she thinks to herself that perhaps maybe this person was giving it to her as a gift. However, years later, just as it is Shabbos, and she has a knock at the door, she's startled to see the same person in a dark, a dark clothing, masked face, runs and he grabs the diamonds and runs off. Um, and what Russell Ejik points out is that sometimes we think in the way that we live that we've been given things which really belong to us because the years wear on and we think that perhaps it was meant to be this way. And then when they're taken back, suddenly we get, we, we get affronted. But we're reminded that as a borrower, we have the, the ultimate responsibility that refers, that refers to everything in our own lives. And that's why at the end of our lives, we're going to have to come in front of Hashem, who's the real owner, and say that we never damaged any of the property he gave us, including our body, including our relationships, including everything else that was given to us as well. We move into the law, the fifth, fifth law, which is the law of seduction. This in this case of the case over here is where a man seduces a young lady who is not betrothed to anybody else. They have a physical relationship, and the man is therefore forced to to uh, give a ksuba to to marry this woman. And if the father refuses, then he has to pay a certain amount of um, money as a, as a penalty. Why does he have to marry her? Abamanel says that this man views life as a fling. He views her as a vehicle to his own pleasure, as an opportunity without commitment. The Torah disavows this and forces him to commit. There's no such thing as a relationship without commitment, which is why the Torah forces him into the relationship he does not want to. That's the, the penalty for this. The law number six is the witch, the bestiality, and idol worship. We're told that a machashefo, a witch, cannot live. We're told in the span of a short pasuk and really three psukim, three very distinct laws, what seems to be three distinct laws, and that is one is not allowed to leave a witch alive, and that a person who sleeps with an animal, bestiality, is liable for death, and if a person sacrifices to other gods, yacharam, this is considered a terrible crime, punishable by death because they're not for Hashem alone. So why is all this over here? The Ibn Ezra explains that an, another way that people seek to fulfill their desires is by consulting with witchcraft, following um, seduction, which is the same weakness. Meaning to say that the basis of all of these ideas are a basic 
wish to follow one's own pattern in life. One wants to be able to do what one wants on one's own terms, get pleasure from the way that one sees it being fit. And these are all considered the same terrible crime. In fact, the Sefer HaChinuch points out that there are certain mixtures which are not meant to be in this world, and Hashem disallows us getting involved in them. One of them is witchcraft. Witchcraft is where we take different powers in this world. Human beings manipulate certain forces which are meant to be in silos and mix them to get their own beneficial outcome. That's not allowed to be. Similarly, in the same case, bestiality is crossing those boundaries of what is supposed to be in one place and not in another place as well. Um, now we move into the next law, which is the law of the orphan and the widow. We're told that we cannot oppress those who are weaker in society. Why? Because we are we were foreigners ourselves in the land of Egypt. And we are told that we have to be extremely careful with the, the orphan and with the widow. If we will afflict them, then and they call out to Hashem, Hashem will respond to them, and God forbid, respond by making the person who is the antagonist into also is family that is widowed as well. Why is this appearing here? So the Bukhar Shor, Rav Yosef Bukhar Shor explains that this happens, this occurs right after the practices of the people um, on the land um, to show that they, that once they join, they're completely part of the land of Israel. Meaning to say, just beforehand, we talked about witches and bestiality and uh, pagan service. So we may think, well, let's suspect those who join the nation of Israel from those surrounding nations of such practices. And Torah says, on no account. In fact, once a person joins Judaism, they are fully 100% Jewish. We do no, no longer suspect such practices. Rabbi Bechaya says over here, in fact, that the word ger, a convert to Judaism, comes from the word gargir, which means literally a grain of salt or a grain of an individual item. And that is the idea that a, a ger is a person who, by, by uh, their natural standing, is isolated. They don't have context. They don't have generations of the background and the heritage and the matzabal soup and the stories and all the things that come with the being part of the culture. And it is therefore the responsibility of culture to embrace them and to make them part of society, recognizing their isolation because, in fact, we were isolated when we were in Egypt as well. Finally, the last law in this pa- in the parasha is ribus, usury, and co- and collaterals. We're told that im kesef talvei if you're going to lend other people um, silver or money, the pers- people are needing it. You cannot be in act in a way of a noshe of a creditor. You can't put ribus in neshech, which is you can't collect interest. You are in if you're going to take. Collaterals against a person in order for them to pay back, you have to take it only during the day. You have to return it um, when they need it because they need that. This is the, this is what they need to to wear. This is what they need to sleep with. And if they call out, Shamati Hashem says, "I'm going to call out." Yes, you may say it's not, it's because it's capitalism, it's business. But Hashem says, "I'm going to be listening." First, a few questions. Number one is, what does it mean if isn't it a mitzvah to loan? Why is this considered as, as an if? Rashi explains it really means when. Quoting Rabbi Shmuel, this is one of the three places in the Torah that this actually means when. The Sephora says that because it would be better if we did not need to lend. Hopefully we can live in a society where people are not poor and don't need loans of such nature. That's why their hope is that it should be an if, not a when. <clears throat> now, what is this section really about? Rashi says it is about not being a loan shark. Not being a person taking advantage of other people in difficult circumstances and getting the best one can possibly off their their difficult circumstances. So that means to say it expresses itself in a few places, in a few ways. Number one is don't ratchet up interest. You're not allowed to use their plight 
for your benefit and <coughs> profit. Um, similarly, you're not allowed to make it. What's neshech? He says, Rashi explains, it's like neshichas nachash. It's like the bite of a snake, which looks like a small wound, but then ultimately the poison spreads and it makes a person unable to ever rehabilitate themselves as well. Now, at the end of the Aliyah, it says that, that um, you need to return the item. Why? Until the coming of the sun. What does that mean? Rashi, the Klayakra explains that the sun is the greatest source of energy in the world. And it is all free. No one is rationing it. No one is charging taxes on it. And we don't really deserve it. We don't deserve to have this incredible source of energy, which creates the energy, which provides plant life with glucose, which is absorbed into animal life and to human life. We don't deserve that. But we don't, we, nonetheless, we get it all free. So Baruch Hu says, remember that when you're trying to utilize whatever asset it is that you have, you want to rent, whether it's time, whether it's property, whether it's government funds, whatever it is that you have, the, the asset you have, whenever you're using that, don't treat, don't treat it as a way that you can leverage it against other people in order to get more money. Be a mensch. Act in a way which is becoming like Hashem gave you the rent of the sun just for free. And that's the marshal. That's the interpretation which is, which is being, uh, the metaphor which is being used for us as well. As well. This, with this we conclude the third Ali and Pasha's Nishpatim. Have a wonderful, meaningful day.